For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. Oklahoma faces a lawsuit over a ban on allowing transgender residents to change their birth certificates. The challenge comes after an executive order by Governor Stitt last November. The order reversed the Department of Health's practice of allowing transgender people to change the gender marker on their birth certificate or offering a non-binary option. Ryan, do the plaintiffs have a case here? Well, I think it'll be interesting to see how this proceeds. Uh, You know, this is a national group, Lambda Legal, uh, that has partnered with a local attorney in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that's bringing this case, and they're bringing it under federal constitutional grounds. Um, So uh, whatever happens in this case, there's a potential for it to have far-reaching implications well beyond Oklahoma's borders. Um, You know, if it gets appealed to the Tenth Circuit, potentially several states, uh, and then ultimately, if it ended up in the Supreme Court, we're talking about a uh, litigation that could set or alter federal policy or federal legal guidelines around these issues. So, uh, you know, certainly a, a case to keep an eye on. I think that it's important to go back in time and look at the uh, the pre-executive order process. You know, I visited with uh, a very close friend of mine, Brittany Novotny, one of the uh, most well-known trans lawyers uh, in the in the nation. Um, and uh, when she and I were visiting about this, she told me about her experience of having to get her birth certificate changed. Uh, and then she needed to do that in order to be able to get her driver's license changed. And so there's this whole process. Um, it wasn't maybe the best process, but it was there. And um, I think that uh, the way Brittany described it was after uh, the executive order, we went from being one of the more permissive states and uh, allowing individuals to have government identification that conforms with who they are, that reflects who they actually are right now at this moment in time, uh, to one of the most restrictive. And, you know, that's, there's a real, there's a lot of policy questions here. You know, should birth certificates be the be all end all in gaining identity documents when you're older? Do birth certificates, gender, uh, uh, the gender box on a birth certificate, is that gender identity? Is that your external genitalia when you're born? These are all questions that I think um, you know, will ultimately be answered and hopefully will be answered uh, recognizing the nuance and the humanity that underpins all of those issues. Neva. Well, I think it's interesting. As you, as you said, Ryan, this is a national civil rights group that has come in. They have three plaintiffs. Uh, this is a federal lawsuit filed uh, earlier this week, but it really, it stems back to what began um, as as you mentioned, Michael, the executive order last November that the governor reversed the health department's uh, practice of allowing uh, these changes on the birth certificate or choosing this uh, non-binary option, as they call it. So, but here's the here's the 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 bigger I think picture to all of this: the governor, legislators, and I think the public at large, and you know have you know have expressed real um, you know outrage by all of this. And I think it's been you know I think the actions that the legislature continues to take. There there was a bill uh, three weeks ago that went through the Senate that uh, uh, again. Uh, would prohibit the designation of non-binary gender markers on Oklahoma birth certificates. You know, what we have is the vast majority of uh, elected 
elected uh, officials, uh, starting with the governor and, and lawmakers who believe and have expressed publicly that, uh, that they believe that there is no such thing as non-binary sex and that they, they are not going to support the health department uh, uh, taking what they, what they call rogue actions, really, um, and being able to move down this road. So they're going to do uh, what they can legislatively. We'll see what the courts do in terms of determining um, uh, if this has merit, the, the case that's now that we're talking about. But the law, but I think the bigger picture is that it's a it it seems to be a an issue that is chasing, you know, a very small a very small segment of the population wanting to even address this in the state of Oklahoma may be different in other states, but certainly not here in Oklahoma. But, you know, I, you say that, Neva, you know, we have we have a lot of trans uh, people in Oklahoma um, and, you know, they have for a very long time needed the ability to have their existing identity uh, on, on government IDs, on a driver's license, uh, home documents, whatever that is reflective of who they are right now. And so if you look at that old process um, that was working, there was an outrage uh, when that old process was working. People were, uh, you know, I, I've represented individuals that have gone before uh, uh, district judges and requested name changes so that you know, they've, they're they've going through uh, a tra their transitioning. I've represented them in, that, in those uh, matters before, but you change your name uh, from a, a feminine sounding name to a male sounding name, and then you uh, go to get a driver's license. Well, that driver's license will reflect that name, but your driver's license is still going to reflect the old gender marker. Well, that's a public safety issue, uh, you know, just plain and simple. And so I think that if we can kind of step beyond the kind of uh, charged culture wars around this, I, I do think that there are solutions uh, that can recognize an individual's identity and their dignity and you know, meet all of the goals that the state needs to meet with terms, in terms of identification, recording vital statistics upon birth um, that don't require us to <clears throat> get to a fever pitch uh, on either end where everybody's either a bigot or everybody's either uh, you know, not uh, you know, recognizing a person's right to exist. I think that there's, there's solutions there. And hopefully as, as we get more comfortable talking about things like gender identity and sexuality, uh, you know, and, and those, those become questions that um, we're more comfortable talking about. Hopefully we'll be able to talk about nuance here. And I think I think when we talk about some of these some of these words, I mean non-binary, I think many Oklahomans uh, are not completely familiar with what that actually denotes. I mean that that an individual is saying that they don't specifically identify as either male or female. I mean there there are many components to this, and I think uh, it, you know as we see reflective in society in general we wind up in the courtroom trying to resolve these issues, uh, whether it's before or after legislation, but I think we're looking at a, at a question that uh, uh, hopefully at one way or the other will get resolved quickly as it moves through this uh, court proceeding. Oklahoma is spending millions of dollars to incentivize a startup electric car company. The Frontier is reporting the state waived competitive bidding requirements to award Canoe a statewide contract to buy up to 1,000 electric vehicles over five years. However, Business Insider says the company has yet to produce a profit, is burning through cash, has an exodus of top talent, and isn't on track to reach production goals this year. Neva, is this a good investment for Oklahoma? 
Well, I think it remains to be seen. And I think the issues now being raised, I mean, first of all, there is a process to waive competitive bidding. Uh, in this instance, the uh, the chief operating officer for OMES uh, made the decision, used his authority to, to waive that. Now, uh, you know, I think now as folks, as these revelations come forward in terms of what has occurred, I think it is now the, now the time for uh, everyone to take a serious look at it and make that determination. I mean, uh, there's no question that Oklahoma wants to be attractive to, to businesses, particularly against those in competing neighboring states, Texas, Arkansas, all of the ones that we typically talk about. Um, but when we when we see a contract like this, that was uh, that the frontier did get through an open records request, and you start going through the details, there's probably at this point more questions than answers. So I think um, I think this is a process where the public will be interested uh, in knowing the specifics, and then I think uh, without question, it probably will raise uh, uh, raise the issue uh, in in the legislative circles as to whether or not they uh, believe that this is the road to go down. And certainly, as I said, if you're going to have the opportunity to waive competitive bidding, it needs to be discretionary. And I think in most people's view, it needs to be something that is a an isolated event, not a typical over and over and over repetitive event. And we'll see if there's other revelations that come out now that uh, this particular one uh, with this entity talking about a startup of an electric electric vehicle, uh, whether or not it raises issues. And there's certainly some things that have already come come out about the fact that they, uh, uh, in the cash incentives that they have received over the next four years, Part of it is to build a plant in uh, in prior uh, that, you know, right now is, doesn't seem to be uh, moving very quickly. So there'll be a lot of scrutiny uh, now on this company to perform and uh, follow through on what the contract says, or it probably, as we just talked about a moment ago, will go down the road of litigation or trying to sort this out after the fact. Ryan. Well, you know, Neva's, you know, Neva mentioned those incentives. Some of those incentives are up front, um, including a land giveaway uh, to Canoe. The land giveaway, I think that the, the value on that was somewhere near $16 million. Uh, infrastructure build out, um, you know, the, the upfront cash payments here. And Neva's right, there are more questions than answers, not the least of which is that some of these terms seem to be hidden behind a non-disclosure agreement between the state of Oklahoma and Canoe. Um, and the, the whole... And don't get me wrong, I, you know, even though this may come as a surprise to some people that know I drive a land cruiser that gets, you know, awful gas mileage. Uh, I love electric vehicles. Um, and I just had, I drove to Tulsa earlier this week, and I'm not going to say how much it cost me to get a round trip to Tulsa to Oklahoma City, but I think I may have been able to fly cheaper uh, than it was to drive. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, sell me an electric car canoe, uh, you know, you know, start sending me the advertisements because I may be in the market. It, it, the politics are interesting because it, it, at one point it would have been heresy, uh, I think, for an Oklahoma governor to try to attract any sort of industry that wasn't uh, heavily reliant upon oil and gas industry or, or that had a, a stated market purpose of putting the oil and gas industry uh, out of business uh, or, or, or mitigating their mitigating their, their market share of, of automobiles. That's an interesting term, you know, that in 2022, that's that's this is a good thing. Um, if you go back to even when the governor went down to Austin to meet with the CEO on a this is 
the, the most bizarre story out of all of this. You know, the governor's up on the stage, they have a big signing event and the governor signed something, uh, you know, real, real dramatically uh, in front of the audience with canoe. Um, and then later the governor's chief of communication says that that wasn't legally binding. The governor did, didn't sign anything. For all we know, the communications director said he could have been signing a blank page. Um, and so there's, there's a lot about this that we don't know how much of it's theater, how much, how much of it's real. Um, you know, I'm all for attracting good businesses and jobs to the state of Oklahoma. Uh, but if we have to give away uh, everything uh, in order for them just to look at us, I, I think that we've been down that road before. And there are a lot of lessons that we, we shouldn't uh, very quickly forget. Well, and this is not a small deal. I mean, I think the, the the state would pay somewhere between 35 and $50 million over the life of this five-year deal that uh, uh, that we're talking about. And really, I mean, there's still a question on how much the state would pay in terms of uh, buying these vehicles. I mean, there was the, the vehicles are 35 to $50,000 each. Um, these are kind of a boxy you know, boxy electric car with the, uh, the uh, with a rectangular steering wheel, uh, which is one of the things that's been then that's been talked about. St the the vehicle's still in development, so I think I mean, is the cart before the horse on this, or you know, what are the what are the specifics? I think that uh, it warrants uh, you know a serious look. It may be it may be that everything proves to be on the up and up, and it winds up being a great deal for the state of Oklahoma. You know, I don't think. Anyone knows at this point what the outcome is going to be, but it certainly is something that's going to get a lot of scrutiny. I think that, you know, it's important, you know, if I were going to invest in a company, uh, I want to look at their, their financials. And I'm looking at the financials, the, the net income for December 2021 for Canoe uh, as reported by, let's see, who is this? Um, I think that this is, well... I, I found it on the internet, folks. Uh, it's uh, minus $138 million. Uh, you know, so when they say that they're hemorrhaging cash, that's a lot of cash. And so how much is this deal that's happening in Oklahoma meant to signal to canoe investors, hey, hang in there with us. We've got, you know, we're, we're bleeding money, but we've got this deal. Um, but even if they get the deal with Oklahoma, let's say Oklahoma spends, you know, $50 million on vehicles. Um, you know, their net on that isn't going to be 50 million. Um, it's going to be quite less than that. That doesn't become close to a drop in the bucket in the amount that they were losing in that last quarterly financial report of 2021. Well, and the other thing that I thought was interesting is that the Made in Oklahoma requirement, uh, they're talking about that it may be waived uh, for the first 250 or so vehicles because they're already making vehicles at a Northwest Arkansas plant, and they expect those to be, you know, kind of in the market long before Oklahoma gets a plant up and running, probably sometime in 2023, according to their estimates. Can we say a canoe without a paddle yet? Is that, is that, you know, or, yeah. or, or, or we do that on another segment on this on this topic. We'll do that one later. <laughs> A former Congresswoman Kendra Horn announces she is running for the seat getting vacated by U.S. Senator Jim Inhofe. Horn became the first Democrat to enter the race, although there are currently five Republicans running. Ryan, what are your thoughts on Horn running for the Senate? Yeah, I think most folks will look at this as an, uh, an underdog uh, race, to say the least. Um, you know, I think Kendra Horn is a very talented political uh, figure. Uh, she has national experience now. She's spent a lot of time uh, since 
her loss uh, in 2020 uh, too, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, in 2020, boy, how time flies. Uh, her loss in 2020, really in, investing and building a, uh, a sustained political infrastructure throughout the state, not just for her, but for other Democratic candidates that, uh, that she wants to support moving forward. Um, I think whenever you are the only Oklahoman to uh, represent, uh, the only Democratic Oklahoman to represent an Oklahoma congressional district in Congress for so long, um, you become the person in Washington that whenever the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee says, well, who can we get to do this? Um, you know, you, well, Kendra's going to be at the very top of that list, no doubt. I don't think that there is a single list by any Democratic uh, operative or campaign uh, organization or PAC that didn't have Kendra Horn at the very top of any Democratic contender list. That being said, um, Kendra... Uh, won in a midterm, uh, so there wasn't a presidential election lost in a presidential year. So I think her hope being that you know she'll be able to gain on that wave uh, in a midterm. Um, I think, but even then, you know, statewide is a very different thing than winning uh, most of Oklahoma County, Seminole, and Pottawatomie counties. Um, and you know, and I said before that Democrats that might be looking at getting into this race. Um, you know, maybe should think about this campaign in two ways. One, you want to win. I don't think anybody that jumps into the race should jump into the race unless they just truly want to win. But two, uh, the other thing that can come out of this is that you can elevate issues. Uh, if you become the presumptive nominee for your party, you can try to, uh, as best as possible, shape that general election debate um, and, and elevate issues that you want to talk about. Um, so that, you know, they, you know, this is a, an advocacy platform, uh, more or less. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how this, this shapes out. But you know, if there if there is a Democrat that can win this U.S. Senate race in Oklahoma, I don't know that there is. But if there is, I think Kendra is is definitely that person. Neva, I, I agree. I think uh, it, she certainly enters the race as a prohibitive underdog. But as you described, Ryan, I mean, she has the political pedigree. She has the credentials. Uh, she's someone that uh, she was campaign manager back in 2014 for the Democratic gubernatorial nominee. So she's she has some familiarity with uh, with a a statewide race, even though she even though she was elected in a congressional district. Um, but she also, as you say, I mean, she has a profile when she chaired the Space and Aeronautical Committee. Uh, subcommittee uh, when she was in Congress. She developed a reputation there. Many people, as you remember, there was some conversation I think we even had on this show uh, back uh, during the during the transition of administrations that she was being speculated perhaps as a NASA administrator, same as Jim Bridenstine, mm -hmm. former uh, congressman from the first congressional district in Oklahoma, had served in that capacity in the Trump administration. So um, she's someone that uh, I think knows what she's getting into. Um, it, it, it's going to be a certainly a fast and furious race. She'll have a primary just as uh, uh, just as the Republicans will have a primary. So she's got a short sprint to get past all of that. Money will certainly likely be the advantage for her. Uh, she flips a congressional committee to a senatorial committee and does have the network in Washington and clearly probably uh, had some of those conversations even before making this formal announcement earlier this week, which she did in a video message uh, that, uh, you know, captured a lot of attention instantly as people have been speculating on how this race would shape up um, on the on the Democrat side after we've talked so much about the crowded field on the Republican side. Congressman Kevin Hearn says he won't be running for U.S. Senate 
The CD1 Republican says he plans to stay put and instead run for re-election in his current seat. Neva, does this assure the district will remain in Republican hands? Oh, I think so. And I think, uh, you know, I think this was uh, <clears throat> certainly a decision. I mean, that uh, Congressman Hearn t- took a serious look at the uh, the Senate race, uh, no question. Uh, but but as he said by his own admission, I mean, he was blessed to get on the Ways and Means Committee. It's the first time that we've had someone on Ways and Means in more than 20 years. It is the oldest standing committee, one of the most uh, powerful. Uh, It controls tax policy, uh, has substantial influence on all domestic lawmaking. So, and let's face it, if if, uh, Republicans uh, take over um, the House after the uh, midterm elections, and uh, he will be in a very enviable position, even as a second term congressman right now from Oklahoma, he will have gained a substantial power and influence and be in a very strong position, uh, both for CD1, the state of Oklahoma, and nationally as uh, someone that can really be um, can really be in the mix in terms of policy that's going on in Washington. So I think uh, his 35 years in business, highly successful, uh, all of those things complement kind of the the uh, the makeup of what, what we're talking about. Certainly we're part of the, I'm sure, conversation that, uh, that thrust him onto the Ways and Means Committee so early in his tenure in Congress. So I think, uh, I think we'll see him easily reelected in the first congressional district and now now kind of places the focus once again on this uh, uh, on two things really uh, the open the open Senate seat now yeah. uh, being left by Senator Inhofe and also I think the fascinating race that's taking shape in the second congressional mm-hmm. district now that Mark Wayne Mullen has pivoted over to the Senate race so that 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 looks like it may wind up being a very crowded Republican field in the primary and we'll know more about that in the coming weeks but uh, I think that will be a fascinating race to watch as well Ryan well I think one of the headlines here is that you have Oklahoma's uh, wealthiest member of Congress. Um, you know, this the the one of the, the last reports uh, on on how much uh, Congressman Hearn is worth. I think put him at somewhere around ninety three million. Um, you know, I'm, you know, he he could almost bail out Canoe uh, by himself. Uh, you know, he could fix their money problems. Um, but if you put all of the other, when they did this report, and it was before uh, it was before the most recent election, so uh, I think that include Congresswoman Horn instead of Congresswoman Vice. Um, but if you add up all of the other members of the Oklahoma congressional delegation and their net worth, uh, it was still less uh, than Congressman Hearn is worth on his own. Uh, and yet, uh, and and so you have that he is on the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, as Neva said, one of the most powerful. Uh, historically powerful uh, committees in Congress. Uh, if Republicans were to take the House back, he would almost assuredly have a, a, a subcommittee chairmanship. Um, so you have this incredibly wealthy, very politically powerful individual uh, who faces you know, token opposition for re-election. Um, you would think that this is the profile of somebody that says, I'm going to be in the United States Senate. Um, I think any member of Congress uh, that says that they would rather be one of 435 versus one out of 100 um, is is doing some serious self-rationalization. Uh, and, and, and maybe not. Maybe you really want to stay on that committee. Maybe you want to go through the grind of running every two years. Um, you know, but to me, I think that the idea that 
he didn't walk away from this because he didn't, that he looked, they were looking at numbers. They had to have looked at numbers. You know, just like I mentioned earlier that Congresswoman Horn or former Congresswoman Horn was at the top of the prospective list for Democratic candidates for this uh, open United States Senate seat. If you, um, you, you've got to be able to think that he was with his wealth and his political power in Washington also on the top of those lists. People are running these numbers. Um, my thought is that he is the most powerful, wealthiest Oklahoman that nobody's ever heard of. Um, you know, the, and I, and I hate to say that Congressman Hearn, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, but as I talk to people, you know, I tell, you know, this is my anecdotal focus group, so take it for what it's worth. But as I talk to people, and I would mention him as a prospective front runner for that U.S. Senate race, so many people, even people that are politically, uh, you know, uh, active, uh, didn't, didn't know who he was. Uh, and maybe that's a good thing in Oklahoma, because oftentimes if we know who our elected members of Congress are, it's not for a great reason. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's somebody trying to throw a snowball on the, the Senate floor uh, or somebody trying to sneak into Afghanistan to, uh, you know, meddle in, you know, developing uh, foreign affairs. Um, you know, that's how we kind of know our members of congressmen, but, uh, Congress. But if you're just, you know, doing your work, uh, you know, pencil to paper, we might not know your name. Uh, so good, good job on that. But I think that it probably played into his ability uh, to step into that Senate race, uh, because even with ninety three million dollars, you got to spend a lot of that real fast to let people know who you are, especially outside of Tulsa. Well, but you, you talk about uh, name identification, the folks that we're talking about already that jumped into this race, even Congressman Mullen from the second district, just like Congressman Hearn from the first district, they're known in their districts. Mm -hmm. Now, are they known statewide? No, it takes a long time to build up statewide name ID. I don't care who you are, what, what position you're either in currently or looking to run for. And so, you, you, I mean, you have all of these folks that are going to struggle. I mean, you've got names already out there running that, uh, you know, would be very small single digit uh, numbers in terms of, uh, of name ID across the state. I mean, the, the uh, uh, chief of, former chief of staff for Senator Inhofe, uh, who jumped in first. I mean, we have the former National Security Council chief of staff, Alex Gray jumped in. I mean, these are folks with good resumes. Uh, uh, and then we have others, uh, T.W. Shannon, a former state House of Representatives speaker, uh, someone who did run statewide uh, previously for the U.S. Senate uh, unsuccessfully. But but we have folks that uh, are not starting with high name ID. Mm -hmm. It's going to be it's going to be a grind to see now in a competitive field who winds up making a runoff. And you're right, Ryan, it's going to be very expensive. It's going to be expensive in the primary. It's going to be expensive in the runoff. And then there's going to have to be a general election. No one's dismissing the fact that you, that these folks now potentially are looking at three very, you know, a very strong races that they have to work all the way through to get to November 8th and be successful and be the next Senator elect for the state of Oklahoma. And almost certainly a runoff. Uh, oh, yeah. And when, when, you know, I think if you're, if you're Congressman Hearn and you've got a safe seat uh, and you want to jump into this, you know, without, you know, without walking into that primary uh, with, with a name that everybody knows uh, you're kind of in it with everybody else. And that's a big risk. Um, and, you know, people can walk out of those without uh, name ID. I mean, uh, just look at our current governor. Um, you know, most people couldn't have picked uh, Kevin Stitt out of a lineup uh, in May of, uh, 2018, 
uh, and now he's uh, you know, governor of the state of Oklahoma, about to compete for a second term. So you can do that, but it but it becomes really difficult, especially whenever that race is that crowded, and you just have to make a risk assessment and say, uh, can I have that big of a splash by jumping in, or is it better just to you know, hold my cards and keep doing what I'm doing? Well, let's think about also on the Democrat side. We haven't really talked about the fact Connie Johnson uh, has said she's running for the United States Senate. That makes it a Democrat primary mm-hmm. with Kinder Horn and possibly one or two others. So the notion that it's just a, an easy primary for anyone to get the Democratic nomination mm-hmm. is no less true than, than on the Republican side. Connie Johnson's run statewide. Connie Johnson has been elected to a state Senate seat. She is someone who knows knows the ropes. So we could have a we could have an interesting race developing on the Democrat side mm-hmm. as well. Oh, you're right. I wouldn't want to run against Senator Johnson. Yeah. She's tough. <laughs> Well, Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.